Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from lead pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Thank you guys. Thank you worship team, Terry. Wow. Great, great day of worship. I do love being back with you, but I do miss the beach. It was fun. One day I, I, uh, I, I took my paddleboard up and I went paddleboarding. Just for those of you that don't know, the ocean is still cold. Just saying. Just saying. Um, <clears throat> and my wife, whom I love dearly, uh, sat up in the comfort of kind of a lounge cherry kind of thing and she... Um, she videoed me falling repeatedly. <laughs> now apparently what she didn't realize is she could have put the microphone on mute. <laughs> but she didn't do that. So simultaneous to all of my falls that she captured on video is <laughs> <laughs> What love, you know. It, really, it, made, it made watching it more enjoyable, seriously. Um, it was a great time. Thank you for the time away uh, to, to recharge. It, it really was good, and, and we appreciate it so very much. It, it also causes our hearts to long for you even more. And uh, uh, all that God is doing around here, uh, I, I'm just excited about the, the way that the Lord is, is, is moving among us. Um, one of the things that, that happened uh, out of, really out of the fall and leading into the first of the year, God, God spoke to our elders and leaders from you. We, we heard the voice of God speak from the people of God uh, about some things we needed to dive into here at the river and it's been, it's been good and two of the focus groups out of our transformational church movement helped us come to see that one, we needed to, we needed to try to launch some more groups and two, we needed to, we need to kind of saturate our hearts and minds in, in the gospel and so we're, we're going to be doing that. We're going to be launching uh, a spiritual growth campaign here in two weeks uh, called the explicit gospel and this morning uh, Dean Enfinger uh, where are you Dean he was going to come help I'm back here Joe back right there. in front of the sound booth hey, hey guys why don't you share with us Dean well you know we're starting this new small group series on the gospel and you know I need a little help understanding the gospel and I thought what better group to interview than my fellow River Bluffians so I want you to start thinking about what the gospel is to you and I'm going to be the reporter on the street. So I'm going to go around and just interview some people. Let me see who's, who looks like they're ready to go here. Um, no, here. Young man, could you stand up for me? What is the gospel to you? Well, uh, I, I haven't really thought about it. I mean... The word gospel is like a religious adjective, right? A religious adjective. Yeah, like a, like a descriptive word that religious people use. Like, and that's the gospel truth, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Religious adjective. Must be an English major. Let's see. Oh, ma'am, would you mind standing up for us? And just tell me, what is the gospel to you? Um, the gospel, um, I think it's that old style, you know, where they used to wear the robes and they'd sing, give me the old time religion. Yeah. Okay. 
<laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move over in this side of the room over here. I think we've got a, a spiritual set over here. Let me see. Oh, you sir, could you you stand up for me? Oh, I'm sorry. You're you're wearing glasses. Um, let's see, ma'am. How about you? What is the gospel to you? It's funny that you should ask me, actually. Um, I was having dinner with my family, like, just last week, and um, this is not really ladylike, but all of a sudden I burped, gospel. Lord, help me. So you, you burped gospel. Yes, it was the Holy Spirit, or maybe it was the Mexican. It was something, it sure was. Let's see, let's keep moving along. Oh, like the hair, very good. Um... Let's, let's go with a bright young lady right here. Could you stand up for us, miss? And what is the gospel to you? Um, I like to think of it in kind of magical terms. So if you split the word gospel up into two words, it's kind of like God's spell. So it's kind of like God's spell on the people. So gospel equals God's spell. Yeah, but it's like a, a good spell. Okay, yeah, that's good, yeah. Um, let's, let's maybe move to the front row, right? Yeah, way too much hair. Um, sir, how about you? Yeah, don't turn away, come on. What is the gospel to you, sir? Uh, the gospel's um, all those books, you know. The books? The books, you know, the fishermen wrote all those books with stories in it about somebody walking on water and somebody turning bath water into wine. You know, the books. Okay, yeah, well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, folks, I, I just don't think that we've quite grasped the gospel. You know, it's, it's not a religious adjective, and it's not magical, and it's definitely not a bad burrito Holy Spirit burp. Maybe it's something this like this. That you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skill, not by whether or not we cuss or don't cuss, drink or don't drink, watch this, don't watch this, do this, don't do that, justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. Your lust, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your bitterness, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your rage, anger, those deviances that have been following you around, you don't possess the power of life and death. You can't resurrect anything. Christ came. That's the good news. That's why we don't celebrate us. That's why we continually celebrate him. We boast in the cross and the cross alone. The same power that is at work in raising Christ from the dead is at work in me and work in all who believe. This is the gospel. The explicit gospel, new group starting March 10th through 17th. You know, those are the groups for me. I'm going to get signed up. Dean, Dean, why don't you take um, the burping lady and the God... Why don't you take those folks with you and get them signed up too? I think they need it. Good idea, Joseph. Gang, yeah. y'all want to come with me? Burrito lady? Come on.
Well, I, I really am excited about the opportunity that God is going to give us to, to dive into the gospel in the days ahead. I, 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 I really think especially our small groups, uh, the, the, the resource that we're going to be using in the small groups is just top shelf. You're not going to miss out on that. So please make sure you get signed up into to one of those groups to, to be a part of that. We're going we're gonna to talk about the gospel each week in here. Um, it's going to be flavored a little differently than what you'll be studying in, in your small groups. Uh, but we're, we're, we're just going to, we're going to saturate ourselves in, in the gospel for about six weeks. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Now, this morning, I want us to continue in the prayer that Pastor Kurt dropped us into last week, kind of got us started into. And um, one of the reasons I want to do this is because this prayer has become the prayer that God has given me this year uh, to pray for this church for you for for me for for his his work among us and I I don't beg often. Now, Kathy might tell you differently, but I don't beg a lot. But um, I am begging you to consider making this a regular part of your prayer life, to pray for our church, um, what God reveals in this prayer. And uh, some of you are saying, well, how would I do that? How do I personalize it? Last week, uh, Pastor Kurt did a great job of showing you how to personalize it. It's on our website. You can go view that message. It's toward the end of his message. If you want to fast forward to that part, you know, if you just need a reminder, refresher, you can do that, but we're going we're gonna to pick uh, this prayer back up. I think he started in verse 15 and went through about verse 19 or so. We're going to pick up in verse 18 today and read through the remainder uh, of that. But before we do that, I mean, you can go ahead and turn there if you want to, get your worksheet out. Uh, before we do that, I just want to share something with you. Just before I went on vacation... Uh, I was talking with one of our members and they, they, they made a statement uh, to me and kind of asked a question out of that statement and, and the statement was basically this. They said, something has changed in you. Something has changed in, in what you do when you're up on stage, when you're preaching, teaching to us. There's just something that's changed. You seem, you seem like there's been a, a bit of a confidence shift. You feel, you seem a, a little more comfortable with what's going on. And, and I had an immediate answer. The immediate answer was going to be, well, it, it's this prayer. And I would say that's a part of it. But while I was on vacation, I spent some time reflecting a little more fully on, on what was said to me and, and asking the Lord, what, what was that about? And there were two things. It, it has been, I think, because of praying this prayer. The other thing that I think it was about is a journey that the Lord took me on during Advent. Uh, during Advent, I was using a resource, uh, mostly the writings of a guy by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may recall uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was, uh, he was a theologian in the German church uh, during the rise of Hitler. Uh, he was one of the few churchmen that stood in direct opposition to Hitler. Uh, he ended up being imprisoned for his, his bold, courageous beliefs and was eventually martyred. But one of the things as, as he would walk through insights that God would give him about the word of God as he was reading and studying it, one of the things he helped me come to understand is, uh, is something that should happen every time the word of God is open in the presence of God's people, it should always lead to the worship of God. Always. When the word of God is open in the presence of God's people, it should always lead to his people to worship him. And I thought about what I would call my my primary purpose in, in sharing from God's word with you. And I, I realize that oftentimes it has been, I want to share in such a way that I get you to go do something for God. Go do. Or share in such a way that, you know, you would learn something new about God. 
And I've come to realize that really uh, near the first of the year that all of those are okay. But ultimately they're not going to help any of us be transformed. That it, it really comes down to worship, the worship of God. So that every time you walk out of here, you're not thinking about what you can go do for God, but you're thinking about what God has done for you in Jesus. That that's, that's your focus. That you're, you're thinking about what God has done for you in the here and now. Because when we walk away amazed by what God has already done for us, when we leave with uh, um, just kind of a majestic picture of his beauty and his great love for us, you know what will happen? You'll do for him. It, it'll just kind of flow naturally, you know. See, when, when a heart gets captivated by God's awesome goodness and beauty and his, his overwhelming cosmic love for you, what will happen is it, it will, it will, that will sustain radical obedience. It's the only thing that will. It's the only thing that will, will allow any of us to follow Jesus that way. It will create a hunger so that you want to learn more. We won't have to come up with something fast and slick to try to motivate you to learn more. When, you, when you're connected to the beauty and wonder of God, when you're amazed by his grace, when you get mesmerized by his mercy, the only thing that you're going to want to do is know more about him. And, and when that happens, here's some things that are going to take place. Idols of your heart will begin to shake loose. These fake saviors that so many people give their minds to, their lives to, they'll, they'll, they'll lose their grip. When, when you begin to see Jesus with the eyes of your heart, it will only lead to greater love for Jesus. And what that will do, it, it will keep you, it's the only thing that will keep you from giving yourself over to sin. To becoming a slave to sin. It's the only thing that will do that. And so that's what I believe that the Lord has been showing me in the early part of this year, the end of last year, is that it all begins with a passion for God. A passion for seeing how much God loves you. And I believe that Paul, when he was writing the first chapter of Ephesians, was breathless with passion for God. We looked at, you know, basically verses 1 through uh, 14, and they were, they were like the longest sentence in the Bible. And it was Paul was breathless. Well, this next section is like another sentence. And it's, again, Paul is just breathless in this prayer that he's praying. He's so passionate for God's people to get connected to God. So I want us to look back at this prayer and allow it to wash over us. So I'm going to start uh, from Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 18. Paul writes this. He says, I pray. I'm reading from New American Standard Day. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the, the word of the Lord. Now, I want us to, to kind of dive into this because what Paul is leading to in that prayer are the closing verses that have to do with the authority that you and I have been given in Jesus. It's a kingdom uh, authority. It's the power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. And he has entrusted that first to Jesus and then entrusted Jesus to us. And so this morning, I want us as we're, we're moving, heading into this season of thinking about the gospel, wanting you to understand and be gripped by the reality of the authority, how, how that comes into your life. How, did, how is that even possible? How is it real? Because if you're a child of God this morning, born again because of what Jesus did, you've accepted it, you've believed and you've received him. The Bible says that you have access to this authority, this power that raised Jesus from the dead. How many of you, the name Enrico Fermi means something to you? Enrico Fermi. Anybody? Okay. Enrico Fermi was one of a team of men who in 1940, uh, they, they converted a, what was basically like a racquetball court at the University of Chicago. They converted it in, into kind of a makeshift laboratory. And it was there they took Einstein's theory of relativity and they split the very first atom. And they released a power that was like 1 to 16 million. I don't even remember what the number was. It was something phenomenal. The power that got released. And we entered into the atomic age. Friends, the power that Paul is writing about, the authority related to that power, the access to that power that Paul is writing about here, atomic age just pales in comparison to it. It just, it just completely doesn't hold a candle to it. Now, here's the deal. Whether you have ever split an atom or not, that power was always there. You know? Let me ask you this question. When, when was that power there? When God spoke it. When God spoke it and the first atom formed, that power was there. How long did it take before... We accessed it. Millennium. Eons. It, it took a long, long time before we accessed that power. It doesn't mean it wasn't there. It just means we didn't access it yet. We didn't know how to apply it yet. Now some of you would, would say as we think about this authority. And you're going to say, you're, you're going to feel this. Why, why have I not been living in it? Why, why have I been beaten down and beat up? It's not because it's not there. It's not because you don't have access to it. It's just that you haven't figured out how to apply it. And I want us to think deeply about this today. Now, if I had been Paul and I was going to try to write in such a way to help you get access to power, I'd have probably gone back to creation. I'd have gone back to use as an illustration the creation God speaking and billions of solar systems like ours were, were created. You know, God just kind of, God burps and everything exists. You know, I'm just stealing from the line over there. You know, he just created it all that way. 
Just, just that way. I, I would have probably used that. But what power, when, when Paul is pointing back to uh, something, what, what event does Paul point back to as the greatest power in the universe? The resurrection of Jesus. That power is a greater power than the power of creation. It, 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 is a, it is more powerful and God has given you the authority in that power through Jesus. The power of, of the resurrection. Now why, why do I say that resurrection power is greater than creation power? I mean creation power is, is speaking something from nothing. And that's powerful. Don't get me wrong. Resurrection power is power that brings life from death. Creation power brings life from nothing. Resurrection power brings life from death. Death, kind of emptiness is neutral. When there was nothing, everything was neutral. Death is corrosive. Death is destructive. It's one kind of power to bring life out of nothing. It is a greater power that brings life out of death. Do you understand that? That's why Paul points back to the resurrection to point to the power that God has given in Christ to those of us who would follow him. Now some of you say, why is that such a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because many of you experience on a daily basis the corruption of death. Some of it in the lives of people that you love who have died. Others, it comes at you in, in ways of struggle, destructive emotions, Addictions, jealousy, selfishness, hatefulness, lack of self-control. It comes with confusion and, and blindness, sometimes brokenness. But God brought life out of death. And because of that, you can be confident that no matter how death is touching your life right now, no matter what part of your life has been corrupted by the decay of death, God's power can break that. The power of the resurrection can break selfishness. It can give you self-control. It can give you courage where previously you've been a coward. It, it can give you hope in places where relationships are so damaged you feel hopeless. God has given kingdom authority to us in Jesus Christ. But we've got to understand it to know how to exercise it. We've got to get at it to understand how to apply it. And so that's what I want us to do the rest of our time together. And it starts, it begins by coming to grips with the reality, why would God give us that kind of power? Why would God give us access to that kind of authority? And the key to that is found back in verse 18 in what Paul told us that he was praying for, that you would know something. And it's the key here to this, and, and it's simply this, uh, it's point number one, it's, it's this, God in, is investing in his inheritance. The reason that God gives us authority, gives us access to his power, is because it is an investment in his inheritance. Look back at verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1 with me if you would. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Then he says um, that you will know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I want to break that, that phrase apart for just a second. What is an inheritance? 
An inheritance normally is something in our culture that we receive. Maybe it may be, you know, some kind of, of great value that we receive when, uh, normally when a relative passes. When a relative dies, we, we get this inheritance. Now, the question here is, whose inheritance is being spoken of? Is it yours? Is it, is it Christian's inheritance? No. It, it, he, he is not speaking here about the inheritance we had. Most of verses 1 through 13, 14 were about that. But in verse 18 right here, he's speaking about God's inheritance. God is investing in his inheritance. See, God's inheritance. Who, what is God's inheritance? What, is the, what does this passage say God's inheritance is? It's the saints. That's not the football team that lost in the playoffs, okay? It's you. You are God's inheritance. And did you notice kind of the descriptors of God's inheritance? It says it's glorious. It talks about the richness, the riches that God thinks of you as. You are his glorious, rich inheritance. It's kind of like, what would you get God for Christmas? You know, well, I'll make it easier on you. What, what would you get Bill Gates? If you're, if you're a relative of Bill Gates and you got to buy Bill something for Christmas, what are you going to get him? You're going to get him a flat screen TV? I mean, what, what do you get a dude like Bill Gates? What do you get God? You. You're God's inheritance. This is why God is eager to pour into you his authority. The reason why he is so excited that you would have access to resurrection power because you're his inheritance. He's just investing in it, man. God, God's excited to invest in his inheritance, you. And we got to be captured by that reality that that's, that's why God would give this to us. That we would experience and feel it and, and, and be overwhelmed by the reality of his love for us because we're his inheritance. See, God, that, this is why God's so eager to do that. Why he's so excited to pour his authority and, and his, his power into you. So here's, here's a kind of a critical question about this. Are you God's inheritance? The only way to become God's inheritance is through Jesus. You can't do it on your own. You can't earn it. The only way to receive, to become God's inheritance and then to have access to his authority and power, the only way to do that is through Christ and Christ alone. It, it, it is the, the only way. It's, it's the only way possible. And the Bible tells us this. That if we come to Jesus believing, believing that he died to pay the penalty for our sins, believing that he's the only son of God, believing that I'm separated from that God because of my sin and that Jesus' death is the only thing that will pay for it, if I believe that and choose to receive him and choose to follow him and give my life to him, the Bible says you will be saved. You will have access to this authority, this power. You will become God's inheritance. And so Paul says, I am praying for that. I'm praying that you would get that. You would understand that you are God's inheritance. And in God's sight, you are glorious. In God's sight, you are you're, you're riches to God. That's how, he, that's how he sees you. And this, this understanding of this power and this authority really flows from cover to cover in God's word. Old Testament and new. I want, you to, I want to start by giving us kind of this narrative today of the authority of God. 
God's plan for it. Because it began all the way back in the beginning. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you look at verse 26, you're going to find this. That God graciously gave authority to people. This was God's original intent and he graciously gave us his authority. He, he did it in a glorious way. The, the Bible tells us that when he created Adam, he created him to have dominion, to have all authority. And so we see in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come together. They counsel together and they make a decision that we're going to make man in our own image. After our likeness. Now let me ask you a question. Does God's likeness reign? Does it rule? Does, does, does God have authority? Well, of course he does. And the Bible says that God decided to make mankind, humanity, in, in his image, like him, with the capacity to rule. Look what it says. And, and he said, let them have dominion. And it makes this list of things that God says, let them have dominion. And basically, it's over everything on the earth. I'm, I have dominion over everything. I'm going to give them Create them in my image and give them uh, this power, this dominion. And dominion, if you underline things in your Bible, you might want to underline that. It simply means rule. It simply means reign. It simply means to be over. It's what it means. And he says, I want man to have dominion on earth. So God created us in his image so that we could have dominion. And, and he gave it to us. This, this ability to rule. King David uh, I believe one night was looking up at the stars. And I believe it because of the context of what he writes in, Psalm, in, in Psalms 8. And in Psalms 8, David says, God, when I consider your heavens, the moon and, and, and the stars, the works of your fingers, he said, when I, when I think about those, he, he, he comes up with this question, what is man? What, when I think about that, and I think about me, I think, what, what am I? What, what, what am I to you? And then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gets the answer to the question. It says, you've made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. God, the Holy Spirit, takes David back to Genesis 1.26. He says, this is the answer. This is God's intent. This is what man was made for. It was for this. But let me ask you a question. How many of you have looked at your news feed on your phone sometime today? Or maybe your computer. Or maybe you have already looked at the newspaper. Or maybe you looked at the news last night before you went to bed. How many of you, when you look at that, think, yeah, we're ruling this place. How many of you think we're running into the ground? See, there's a reality based here. God graciously gave at creation. He gave dominion. He gave it to human beings. God, God graciously granted that to Adam. But here's what happened. We legally lost that authority. We legally gave it away. We, we made a decision to give up that authority. And it wasn't just that we lost it. It wasn't like it fell out of our pockets, you know, we legally lost it. Adam handed the dominion that God intended for all of us over to Satan. He literally said, here, I'm, gi I'm giving you my dominion. Now, we know if you go back and read Genesis chapter 3 that it was through deception. 
that Adam came and he, I mean that, that Satan came and he deceived Adam and Eve. But they yielded to Satan. And the Bible tells us that they, they became Satan's slave. In that moment, they became Satan's slave. Now the word that's used there that talks about who came and tempted the woman, it, the word that's used there is serpent. And I don't know if you know this, but when you translate that Hebrew word for serpent, it can mean shining one. Kind of shiny. Kind of bright lights. So this shining one comes, comes to the woman, then comes to the, the man through her. Some of you may also know another name for Satan is Lucifer. And, and Lucifer actually means light bearer. Lucifer was created by... God did not create the devil. Okay? He did not. God created a beautiful angel named Lucifer who was known as the son of the morning, bright and morning. He, he, that's who he was. God created him with the capacity to decide. And at some point in his arrogance, because of his beauty, he decided to rebel against God. And the Bible tells us that he was cast down to the earth because of that great rebellion. God created this holy, beautiful angel who chose to rebel against God. And he was banished from heaven and he was cast down to earth. Jesus, Jesus tells some of his followers about it one day. You can go read about this in Luke 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus has sent his followers out. There were 72 of them that he sent out to go proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to cast out demons. And they come back, man, and they're given reports of excitement. Yes, Jesus, when we, when we speak your name, man, demons run for the hills. And Jesus gives them a history lesson. Jesus says... I remember when I watched Satan fall. I remember when he fell out of heaven. I rem I, Jesus is, is, is pointing back to this historic event when he fell like a bolt of lightning down to the earth. He remembers that. Lucifer being cast down from heaven. But now here's the deal. It did not change at all. His heart was not transformed from that discipline from God. Instead, what he decided was, I just want to, I want to relocate my rebellion. Now I want to move my rebellion on earth. I want to enthrone myself here. So what did he go after? He went after the one that had dominion over the earth. He went after Adam and Eve. He went after their dominion. And Adam takes a bite. And Adam surrenders his authority. He yields himself to Satan. You know, the deception was, man, if you'll just do this, God knows. That's why he's, that's why he's telling you not to do this. Because he knows you'll be like him. That's what Genesis 3, that was the temptation. Do this and you'll be like God. But Adam did not become like God. Instead, Adam became Satan's slave. There's a very, very important verse in Romans chapter, Romans chapter 6. It's verse 16. Paul is writing about the fall. And here's what he writes. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Adam chose to obey Satan and he became the slave of Satan. His kingdom authority was gone. He no longer had dominion. His legal right to rule was gone. Satan tempted him and he fell. 
millennia later, Satan tempts another man. Luke chapter 4 records this, that Satan comes to tempt Jesus. Same, same Satan. He's still, looking for, he's still looking for rule. He's still looking for authority. And this is another key verse that I want you to see. It's in Luke chapter 4 verse 5. It said, the devil took Jesus up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, look at all the glory of all the kingdoms. Look at all this power. So look at this. And then verse 6, Satan had the audacity to say to the Son of God, all this authority and their glory has been delivered to me and I'll give it to whomever I will. Now what's so interesting about that moment to me is Jesus didn't say, dude, it's mine. You can't give me what's mine. Is that, is that what Jesus said? No, he did not dispute the devil's claim because he knew the devil had legal right to every kingdom on this earth. He knew that, that Satan had the legal right to dominion on this planet. And so all Jesus did was Jesus spoke back truth because he was trying to get Jesus to worship him. Same thing he was really trying to get Adam and Eve to do. He was trying to, to have dominion. But see, Jesus knew that mankind's dominion had been legally lost. That Satan was right when he said it had been given to him. How a, a, a man, because of that, brought spiritual death into this world. And, and, and he himself died. Authority had been lost. But if you jump a little further uh, into our study of Ephesians. I'm, we're going to do that. We're just going to fast forward to, to, to chapter 2 for just a second. In, in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, it describes a little bit about what went on there in Genesis 3. And it says, Adam who was given life is now dead. And, and the sons of Adam, all the descendants of Adam, are also going to experience that. They're not going to have authority. Watch this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked. He's talking to, to believers now, but he's saying before you came to know Jesus, you were dead. You were just like Adam. You might have been alive physically, but you were dead spiritually to God. You were cut off from God. But then look at verse 2. It says, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who's that, who's that spirit? It's the devil. It's the devil. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul tells us that he's the God of what? He's the God of this world. That's, that's who he is. He had authority here. Later when we get to uh, our, our, our season, we're going to take some time and talk about spiritual warfare when we get to Ephesians chapter 6. In, in that uh, passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and in, in verse 12, uh, Paul writes and tells the Ephesians, our fight's not against people. Our fight's against powers and principalities and, and authorities in, in the unseen world. He's saying there's this dark prince who rules. God's power, God's authority to, to, to human beings was gloriously given. It, it got legally lost. But here's why Jesus came. Here's, here's why Christmas happened. Here's why the, what the incarnation is about. Because Jesus came back to righteously regain it for us. To do it the right way. There's all, there was only a right way. He came back to righteously regain our authority. That's, that was the purpose of, of Christmas Day. So that what we legally lost could be rightfully regained. Now some people would say, okay, I don't understand. Why didn't God just thump Satan on the head and destroy him? Why didn't God just take back the authority by force? Here's why. 
because God is righteous in all his ways and God is just in all his ways and God will not act outside of who he is. He won't even treat Satan unrighteously. He won't even treat Satan unjustly. God is not a God of injustice in any way. And legally, Satan had the right. He had the right to it. And so God comes with a completely another plan to take that authority back for us. And the Bible says it was lost by a man. It was legally lost. So it's got to be legally bought back by a man. If it's going to be regained. See, Satan had no power over Almighty God. He, he had no power that, that it, God could, could have completely destroyed him. But the Bible tells us, and I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Basically what that verse is saying, in human history there are really only two camps. Two, two, two humanities. There is this humanity that is in Adam and this humanity that is in Christ. You are either in Adam or you're in Christ. You are either, you either have access to everything that pertains to Adam, which is death and decay, or you have access to everything which pertains to Christ, which is resurrection. That's what it means to be either in Adam or in Christ. And it, the Bible says here that in Christ all shall be made alive. The first man who came, death came by him. But the second man, resurrection came by, by this second man. And Hebrews 2 kind of points this out. You may want to write this down and go back and study it. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Do, do, do you see that? It was lost by a man by flesh and blood, God's authority. It had to be, you know, the Bible says that the wages of that, that sin was death. Death, death came. So Jesus had to come taking on flesh and blood. This is why the incarnation is so important. This is also why the virgin birth is so important. There, there are a lot of teachers of God's word who will tell you it's really not a big deal whether or not you believe in the virgin birth. Here's why it's so important to understand. Because death came through one man's seed, Adam. But Jesus, though he was man, he was born of woman, he was conceived by the Spirit of God. And these are, these are two humanities that are being spoken of here. It's, it's why he was able to come and do battle. In Galatians chapter 4, it tells us this. In the same way we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. It means before we were saved, we were, we were captured in, in, as Satan's slaves. The, the Bible tells us that everybody who was in Adam, that's true for. Because a slave cannot purchase the freedom of a slave. Only a free person can do that. So we were in bondage. And we were in bondage to things like lust. We were in bondage to things like pride and arrogance and, and disobedience. We, we were captive. We were enslaved to all of those elementary principles is what the scripture says. Now I don't know if you ever read the scriptures and you get to that three letter word but. Do you ever get happy about buts? You know, just you'll be reading something and all of a sudden God's word will say but. 
This is one of those places where you ought to circle that and be excited about it. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. You got to understand that. He was born of a woman, born under the law, born under the same curse that we were born under. But he came to redeem those who were under the law. He came, that was the legal right of Satan. He came to redeem us from that. To receive us as into adoption. To buy back the slaves. Because only a son can do that. A slave couldn't do it. Only a son could do it. And again, that's, that's why the virgin birth is so important to us. To understand that. And so Jesus came as all man and all God. But he defeated Satan as a man. He did not power up. He defeated Satan perfectly through obedience. And the Bible tells us he, he did it through obedience of sacrifice on the cross. Through his own death. Jesus came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a totally sinless life. When he was born, Satan knew he had a problem. He knew that his dominion was on shaky ground. That's why he tried to kill Jesus as a baby. And when he couldn't kill him as a baby, he knew that what I better do is I better get him to sin. So he tempts him. That's what the whole Luke 4 narrative is about. Go back, go back and read it. And so he tries to tempt him to worship him. That, that, that temptation. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit was on Jesus and sent him out in the wilderness. How did Jesus fight Satan? How did Jesus begin the journey of taking back authority? Well, the Bible says that he was filled with the spirit during the temptation and the Bible also tells us that he used the word of God against Satan that when when Satan tempted him what Jesus said in the power of the spirit is he said it is written do not tempt the Lord your God it is written you shall worship God alone it is written Jesus is showing us how we can exercise our authority we can only exercise it when we surrender ourselves to the spirit of God and when we walk in complete obedience to his word. That's, that's God's plan for us. That's how we access and exercise our authority. And it's what Jesus used to defeat the enemy. He, those two weapons. Here's the really interesting part. Those two weapons were available to Adam. In the garden. Adam walked with God. The spirit of God was with Adam. He was with him. Did Adam know the word of God? Did he know what he wasn't supposed to do in the garden? He knew. Don't eat the fruit. You know, he knew that. He knew the word of God. That was the only word he really needed to know. He knew that. But he failed. And so the second man comes who lives a sinless, perfect life who, who does not fail. And Luke 4 records that. He was driven out into the wilderness. And Luke 4 verse 8 tells us this. Jesus saying, it's written. You're only going to worship God. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to give myself over to you. And what happens is this. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the man who's in a garden fails and gets driven into the wilderness. Just an incredible contrast here. When we get over to Luke chapter 4 and into the Gospels, we see Jesus in the wilderness living victoriously so that he can take you back to a garden. It's, it's, it's a full circle. And then Jesus does his greatest battle back in a garden. 
If you go to, to Luke chapter 22 and you read about Jesus' his own garden experience of Gethsemane, there's this one last push that Satan's coming after him, trying to get him to give in. What does Jesus say? He said, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Not, not my will, God. Let yours be done. And the Bible tells us that he went to the cross. That he humbled himself as a slave. He took on our slavery. He went to the cross obediently. And by that, he destroyed the power of the destroyer. He broke that legal bond of authority that Satan, it was given back to Jesus. And that's what Paul is writing about at the close of this prayer. When he's talking about that authority and the power of the resurrection. And, he, and, and Paul tells us this. In, in verses 20, 21, 22, somewhere right in there, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that Jesus, that God gave him all authority, all rule, everything was put under his feet. And then, what did God do with Jesus? Who did God give Jesus to? The church. To you. He gave him to you. So that you have access through Jesus Christ to all authority, to all power, to all the riches of heaven. You have that kingdom access. It was regained righteously, legally for you by Jesus. It belongs to you. So here's the question. Are you exercising it by familiarizing yourself regularly by walking in the spirit? Are you spending time enough in God's word so when the tempter comes at you, you can say, dude, it's written. It's written. You don't give in. It's yours. Jesus did that for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you. We come beholding your beauty and your glory. We come, we come seeking to see you seated at the right hand of the Father in, in heaven. We come seeing you that way, Jesus, because we know that it is from your throne that you rule and reign. It is because of what you did on the cross because you were raised from the dead by the power of the resurrection that the legal hold Satan had on people is broken and that God then gave back to this earth gave you as the head of the church head of all things your word tells us head over every authority every other authority put it under your feet and then gave you to the church Jesus, we come in this moment as the church and we come confessing we have not lived out of that authority well. We have not exercised the authority that you have given us well, but we want, we want to do more. We, we want to, God, because of your beauty, because of your sacrifice, because of who you are. We come 
choosing this day once again to be people who overcome. Who overcome by your sacrifice, Jesus. Who overcome by your, the word of God. Who overcome by the spirit of the living God inhabiting us. And maybe you're here today and you've wondered about things like the virgin birth. And you've wondered about things like what's the incarnation. And you've wondered about some of these details about why did God have to do it this way? God did it this way because his dream, his plan is always to graciously give you authority. But it was legally given away. But Jesus righteously bought it back for us. He regained it so that we could live in it. And maybe right now today for the very first time you've heard that story in such a way that you get the details and you say, dear Jesus, I, I want that. I need that. I want power over sin. I want to be set free from my own slavery today. Help me, Jesus. The Bible says if you call on his name believing that he can do that, you'll be saved. If you trust him with that kind of belief, you can receive him. And he'll give you his authority. Lord Jesus, most of us in this room, however, have been, had access to that authority for a long time. That power has been available. We didn't know how to apply it. We didn't know how to access it. Maybe today you've reminded us of that. And so we choose again, once again, God, this day to walk by your spirit, to trust you, spirit, when you move and speak, when you convict us of sin and convince us of truth. We choose to follow you, spirit. Speak to us. We want to overcome. And God, we know that we overcome by the word of our testimony, which is simply your word washing over us. And so we come, God, once again, recommitting ourselves afresh to your word. We want to be people of the word, your word, because of your beauty, because of your glory, because of what you have done for us. We want to know you. We want to worship you. And we want to overcome. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.